Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. So today's going to be a little bit different. I say that sometimes and sometimes it is, and this one's really going to be different. So here's why. I don't usually have a guest on that I'm going to dive very deeply into their product. But what Gabe has created and co-founded here, and I'm going to introduce him in just a second, is something that is so important in my mind and in our mind here at Proudmouth that I want him to walk you through the real details of what's going on. And then we'll probably end up doing a webinar with him or something like that. But it's just important for all of you to understand that this is going to be a little bit different. There's definitely going to be a huge educational component to it, but the education is going to be built into this platform that he built. So his name is Gabe Brisman. He's the co-founder and president of yourstake.org, which provides an explainable ESG analysis, which is, there it is right there, everybody. I need him to explain to you how this is explainable from an ESG standpoint. We're going to talk about what ESG is. We're going to talk about reporting tools, what he's built, and why he built all of this. So Gabe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Excited to be here. All right, brother. First off, if those of you can't see Gabe, Gabe is nowhere near as old as I am. Uh, so he's he's basically somewhat of a recent graduate from college, and all of this started then. But Gabe, did it start before that? I mean, have you always been involved or, or interested in socially responsible things, uh, environmental things? Let's go kind of rewind the clock a little bit, and let's find out a little bit more about your story. Sure. I think throughout my life, I was always informed by my parents about the importance of social responsibility, but I never really knew how to apply that or if I even wanted to apply that. Honestly, I had to figure out who I was as a person. Back in 2012 was when I started diving into socially responsible investing. I was actually really interested in movements. I was interested in sociology. How do things go from zero to one? And wow, 2012 was such a great time. First, I'm interested in movements because the fossil fuel divestment movement was just kicking off on college campuses around the country. That was the turning point for ESG in general was 2012. It had been happening since the beginning of investing, but the massive growth in ESG started right around the time of the fossil fuel divestment movement. So I was learning about shifts in the world, what's going to happen, and realized that this activism and this campaigning was happening through the financial system and that there was a tremendous amount of power within the Yale endowment and that as the endowment made its investments that had major influence on other investors and companies and policymakers and everything that was going on and i really dove in so while i was a divestment campaigner i also was part of an undergraduate socially responsible investment fund and we dove in to from a very different angle. Instead of looking at fossil fuel divestment, we looked into proxy voting and actually worked with Yale to get it to improve its proxy voting policy at the same time. And then of course, I was an academic. I, I studied computational astrophysics and data science, but I had to write a couple of papers while I was at school, right? So I dove in with actually my co-founder now, and we did academic research and literature reviews to understand 
are we just spinning our wheels or, or what actually does create impact and impact investing? We looked at divestment, we looked at proxy voting and engagement, we're looking at ESG integration, we're looking at renewable energy project finance, all this stuff. And did this review and realized that there's a huge opportunity for essentially the entire economy to shift and incentives to change for how companies operate if ESG investing hits scale. And that was our mission. Once we realized that, this was 2017, we've been working towards building up a way for financial advisors to help direct all the demand that these clients that they're having are there's so much demand for ESG, but advisors oftentimes can't direct that demand in a meaningful way and help serve their clients and grow the movement for sustainable investing. And that's what your stake does. And that's exactly what my mission is. It's a very personal company for me because we are trying to grow the movement for sustainable investing by providing tools for financial advisors. Now, let's. there's a lot there we have to unpack. So <laughs> sure. to, to begin, I think there's components of ESG. Why don't we start off with what does ESG stand for? ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And those are three factors that were not traditionally considered by investment analysts. Right. It used to be SRI, socially responsible investing, and, and that's where it started, or at least when I remember hearing about it for the first time. Moving from SRI to ESG actually makes a lot of sense. And the reason why is because those, you know, sustainability and governance, dude, nobody was talking about any of that. I, I really take each of those letters, E, S, and G, and let's dive into that a little bit more deeply, please. So the main way that people are thinking about ESG as different from SRI, which you also brought up, I'll just start with SRI has traditionally been characterized by negative screening. And it's mostly been faith-based, actually. The, the faith community and religious community were the pioneers of a lot of socially responsible investing. And they wanted to avoid, oftentimes they're called the sin stocks, tobacco, pornography, alcohol again. And now it's expanded to include things like prisons and fossil fuels. And now it's continuing to grow as people realize that they can express their values more through their investments. But that's socially responsible investing. And actually, those stocks that were excluded for moral reasons performed well throughout the, the 80s, 90s, whatever it may be, and, and gave SRI the, the perception of underperformance. ESG was a very different type of way of uh, thinking about things. So SRI is very values-based exclusions. ESG by its nature is, hey, when we're looking at companies, there's a lot of things that are becoming relevant that are not traditionally being considered. So for example, governance is a really easy one. There's a, a lot of research showing that companies with the best governance outperform and a lot of governance factors are not traditionally considered in financial analysis. Right, I need to pause you there. I don't even know. I mean, help me understand what you mean by governance. Sure. So one big thing in governance is dual share class structures or having an independent board chair. Basically, there are a lot of issues where there's concentrated boards. There may be overboarding, which means that the same people are on 100 different boards and they can't adequately work for the company. Governance is really making sure you have a good structure to run the company where you're not concentrating power in the hands of too few people and things are equitable and allow for a well-oiled machine to operate. Well, okay. So we just skipped over S. So let's break down S. Sure. Actually, I, I don't think we covered E yet. I'll, I'll go to E first and then S next. So E 
was where I got my start in fossil fuel divestment. One of the big concepts was climate change and environmental regulations provide or present a lot of risk to companies. Climate change, both on the physical risk side. So if you've got companies that are prone to sea level rise, or they would be majorly affected by droughts and changing pattern. There's a lot of ways that climate change is affecting companies. And then there's a lot of ways that climate change regulation is, is affecting companies already or going to continue to affect companies. And looking at whether companies are well positioned to take advantage and drive that transition to the low carbon economy. That's a really important secular trend to consider that people are now looking at in the industries where it's most relevant. And the reason why I wanted to save S for now, S is extremely important, but was often overlooked until this past year with COVID and Black Lives Matter movement. And there's now such a strong focus on diversity and social justice, especially as it ties into environmental justice as well. People are realizing that these issues are connected, that the people that are worst hit by climate change and the people that feel the most toxic air pollution are disproportionately minority in poor communities. And there's just so many issues that people are now thinking about in their daily lives and connecting that to their portfolios as well. So that's the E and the S and the G okay. of the ESG. This seems really nebulous, dude. Like, you uh, I mean, you're, it's almost black boxy, right? I mean, how do you find this stuff? How do you suss it out? How do you grade it? How do you provide the information? Of course, I'm, I'm loading you up with a bunch of questions. So let's start <laughs> at the beginning, which is, Let's let's talk about how you have figured out a way to suss out the right information so that people have a starting point, please. Yeah. The answer is that there is no such thing as right information for what people are looking for. Now, there are really fantastic efforts. SASB is one example, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. It is convening a whole bunch of industry bodies and investors and companies and stakeholders to say, these are the issues that matter for this sector. These are the issues that matter from a financial performance standpoint to this sector. And they're trying to create convergence around ESG. That's oftentimes what a financial analyst or an asset manager might think of when they think of ESG. It's how do these factors influence my risk and return profile? A lot of end clients also think that way. A lot of foundations or individual investors or whoever it may be also thinks that way. But what we've seen is that more often than not, they're thinking about ESG from their own value standpoint. They're thinking about what do I think is a positive society? What is a good world? And to them, just correlating metrics with financial performance is a great start. But I know a lot of people that care a lot about forced labor and care a lot about gender diversity, but they drive a Hummer and they're not environmentalists. And that's fine. And there are other people that you can flip it on its head and it's the other way around. People care about different things. Obviously, we have very polarized political environment and just people have different ideas of what matters. So what we recommend is a lot of times ESG or SRI or all these terms, people use them to mean very, very different things. And they have precise definitions, but that doesn't really matter because it doesn't matter if there's a precise definition of ESG if your client's using ESG to mean something else, or if there's a specific definition of impact investing, but your client means something else with it. What's really important for advisors to do is to listen to what your client actually means and not just trust that they are correctly interpreting the jargon. 
So if a client comes in and they say, hey, I'm interested in ESG, you, you can't just show them your ESG portfolio and say, all right, this is the ESG. You have to ask them, what does ESG mean to you? Are you hoping to avoid investing in fossil fuel companies? Are you hoping to invest more in fossil fuel companies, especially the ones that might be trying to drive the transition? Maybe you're looking for improvers. Maybe a person doesn't care about the environment. They're looking for the companies with the best racial justice, and they want to apply a tilt and a positive script. There are so many different ways that people might be thinking about this. And actually, most of the time, people aren't thinking about it in a certain way. They just know that, hey, I have responsible consumption. I, I don't buy products that have bad packaging. Is there a way that I can incorporate that into my investments? And they're, they're more open book. So that's really step one is, is figure out what your client is actually looking for, how much they care about it. Right, which, which is one of the things that I thought was fascinating when we had our call previously to prepare for the podcast is it, you have a way to help advisors begin that conversation because Gabe, I think that's, I think if you start the conversation, you're going to find out pretty quickly that people have opinions about stuff, which means that you are listening as the advisor, right? So, so just to remind everybody, the idea of really great marketing is how you can separate yourself from anybody else, right? And some of you are still having really hard times trying to figure out how to do that. What Gabe has built with his co-founder here. It gives you some tools to start a conversation that we know people want and also gives you an opportunity to input, you know, put data in and have really good stuff come out of the back end. So let's talk about the conversation stuff that you have at your stake, please. Sure. Your stake provides a values discovery questionnaire and we design it to be fun and engaging. And there are two ways that people interact with it. The first is a lot of times advisors are looking for ways to spruce up their website and make it more interactive and engaging. So advisors can embed the Your Stake questionnaire in their website. We have advisors that have built a page saying, do you care about social and environmental issues? Fill out our values questionnaire and you can see which ones matter most to you. And then we can have a conversation about how we can help you express those values through your portfolio. And oh, by the way, once you take your values questionnaire, the Your Stake Values questionnaire, maybe you want to send over your portfolio, oh dear prospect, and then see how well it fits in with your own stated values. So that's one major way is actually embedding that questionnaire link on the website. And then another way is if you're already talking with a prospect, doing a screen share, having them in person and walking through this values questionnaire, we've heard stories from hundreds of clients that have gone through this. And it's really funny. My favorite story is probably a father-son group. And the advisor was going through the questionnaire and the son was answering the questions and the father was looking on. And the father was making these faces of shock and surprise and learning about his own son, who they've known each other, I guess, 30 something years, right? And through this values questionnaire, because these are these are questions that people have to think about, their behavioral questions that help you get at revealed preferences. They're great for kind of catalyzing a conversation in a no judgment manner. It's really just, hey, what do you care about? And this is a starting point for that. You opened a really big can of worms uh, that I need to unpack a little bit, which is the idea that people can take their existing portfolios and plug it into your system. So let's open up that black box a little bit. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Definitely. The thing that most of our advisors have 
the most success doing is running a prospect or client through the values questionnaire, finding out what they care about, forced labor, gender diversity, then taking the clients or prospects existing, maybe non-ESG portfolio and identifying problem areas, basically running it through a diagnostic. And maybe the portfolio is perfect, but a lot of times there are ways that the portfolio can improve. And then the final step that is really powerful is then showing a side-by-side comparison of you, the advisor, your ESG model portfolio, or if you build them a custom portfolio, the custom portfolio that you'd recommend side-by-side compared to their existing portfolio on the specific issues that they care about, not just on ESG, not just on, hey, it's an 8.7 out of 10 versus a 4.3 out of 10. And that kind of goes back to one of your earlier questions about there's so much confusion around ESG. What does it really mean? What does an 8.7 mean? I don't even know what an 8.7 means. I would have to read a 100-page methodology document to find out why. And an 8.7 can be simple, but if anyone asks a question of why, or they see an 8.7 and they see a company that they don't like, then they start to lose trust in what that means. They start to lose faith in ESG in general. They start to worry about greenwashing. So being able to provide actual data points on a side-by-side view, and that's what we do at Your Stake and, and some others do that too, but the importance of showing what's actually happening in your portfolio, what the actual percentage of women on boards in your portfolio is versus the prospect portfolio, what the environmental violations are, and you can read stories about it what the toxic air pollution is, the actual quantities from which plants and which locations, hey, maybe that one's right in your backyard. These are the types of things, the actual raw data points that can help advisors tell stories and can help to build trust. And you may be about to ask this question, but there's a couple examples of specific metaphors that we help provide to help advisors tell stories that can, that can really do a, a lot of great work. It sounds to me like this is something that is never ending from a research standpoint. So, you know, somebody goes ahead, you're, you've built a portfolio. How often are you recommending for advisors to run these reports to make sure that they are truly in line with the client's wishes? Sure. Sometimes we have advisors that are having their clients retake the values questionnaire on an annual basis and then rechecking the portfolio. We also have an alert system that can let an advisor know that, hey, you know, this is something that you might want to watch out for. Maybe the holdings of a fund shifted and you might want to be aware of that. So that's something that can help advisors as well. I have to talk about the metaphors more because this is one of the reasons why I wanted to dive so deeply into this, into the product that you have built specifically, because I don't know how comfortable advisors are with coming up with explanations and stories. Where did these metaphors come from and and what's the feedback that you've gotten surrounding them? The metaphors are the piece that advisors like the most. We built them and researched them and designed them based on advisor feedback. Because advisors were able to show their clients that the ESG portfolio has 70% less toxic air pollution. And they're able to show their clients, hey, here's 70% less. That's because you have 30 pounds of toxic air pollution in your ESG portfolio versus 70 pounds in the benchmark or in, in your old portfolio, whatever it may be. And that's really cool. But it didn't strike an emotional chord necessarily for people. And people didn't know what does that actually mean? What is 70 pounds of toxic air pollution, how do I visualize that 
Uh, it's really hard. And what we've put a lot of effort into and, and the most proprietary part of what we do and the most exciting part of what we do, my co-founder Patrick has asthma and asthma is partially caused by toxic air pollution. And we've actually come up with a methodology to be able to convert toxic air pollution in your portfolio into how many asthma attacks you're responsible for. And Patrick, seeing that he's responsible for 15 fewer asthma attacks, he knows exactly what 15 fewer asthma attacks means. He can't visualize 100 pounds of toxic air pollution, but 15 asthma attacks, man, that, that is uh, something in his daily life. And we've got similar things like pieces of plastic in the ocean and cars off the road and number of meetings led by women and, and a whole menu of these metaphor metrics that really take things into a much more intuitive form. How hard or easy, I guess I'd, I'd rephrase the question, is it to get all the information that you need to be able to provide not just these metaphors, but really good tools for financial advisors to have the faith and the confidence that really what the information that you're giving to them is real, true, and has some foundation? It is difficult. It, it takes a, a lot of effort and it takes our particular process. So we're different from other ESG data providers that have hundreds of analysts. Sometimes people ask how you can get all this information we're uh, about a 10-person team, and there are other organizations that have hundreds of analysts. They are mostly operating by looking through individual company reporting, voluntary company sustainability reports, sometimes sending out surveys, but really being analysts. They're injecting their opinion. They're looking at all the data that's there, and they're making kind of like a buy-sell-hold recommendation in, in regular investing, but they are giving you an analyst opinion and a rating on particular issues based on what they think matters and what they see. We are operating in a much more tech-centered way where it takes a lot of work up front. And it took years of research for us to be able to know what the most important information was and the best way to display it and the way to translate the complex into the simple, which uh, advisors have to do every single day. It's a really challenging part of the job. So we have done the groundwork to set up our database and our methodology and our process so that we can ingest new data. And then when there is new data or, or expanded data or whatever else it may be, it is very tricky and, and challenging to be able to write the code to be able to pull that in and write the uh, ways for, for us to do human quality checks too, because that's really important. But then once we have the process set up, that can, that can happen in the background. That can happen in Obviously, we're still doing quality checks, but we're not having to do as much work once we do that, that effort to set it up up front. Now, this is probably maybe more philosophical than you would like to get uh, on this short show, but the amount of power that you are giving consumers through financial advisors might be scary to large corporations, right? I mean, you know, there are, there are some organizations that have been around for a really long time and they don't want people to know this, but we do know as consumers that we do have power when we purchase things. You go to the store that you choose to buy the products that you want. And I don't think Gabe, a lot of people truly understand that you can have so much more impact because, you know, some of you who are listening to this, who are advisors, have clients who have cabillion dollars, right? And could you imagine if you shifted the cabillion to uh, do 
what is right in the client's mind and, and what could potentially make massive impact because we're taking money out of the companies who aren't behaving in the way that we'd like and putting into companies that we are. So let's talk about the power aspect of this. And is that something that you guys have considered? That's the whole point. We're, we're mission driven. We realized that there's, <laughs> there's so many issues going on in the world and corporations touch every single one, every single one really. And they are pushing back. The SEC and actually a whole bunch of different regulatory regimes are pushing for more disclosure of social and environmental and governance issues. And a bunch of tech companies are now lobbying to try to, to reduce the disclosure requirements. They want less disclosure. I mean, always incumbents are not going to want to share this information. It's actually really funny. Sorry, a quick tangent, but it's, it's great. When you or... or I went through a whole bunch of sustainability reports for plastic producers when we were coming up with our plastic production metric. And boy, all they talk about is the circular economy. Even if that's such a small part of their revenue and their recycling stuff is a small part of their revenue, that's what they love to talk about. But a lot of times you don't find the real material metrics that are most relevant to their actual operations and what they're doing. And man, if a company doesn't want to disclose its carbon footprint, then it'll disclose its carbon footprint per square foot of operations. Or if it doesn't want to disclose the number of women in management positions, it'll disclose the number of new hires that are women. Companies don't want to disclose this information if they're embarrassed, but pushing for this disclosure, there's a great saying that sunlight is the best disinfectant and it really does drive, and there's a track record of this, it does drive companies to improve their impact. All this track record, and there is a really large track record too, that was part of our academic research project, seeing does shareholder demand actually in, encourage companies to change? And it does. All this is with ESG as like such a tiny minority, right? This is with ESG being, being laughed at. This is with ESG not having any credibility. And now that ESG is becoming the majority, man, there was already a great example of Deliveroo who had an IPO and they tanked in their IPO. And a lot of the reason was that institutional investors we're worried about their issues with worker treatment. Companies are seeing more and more that the executive compensation being tied to social and environmental issues. They're seeing their stock price and their opportunity and what investors are asking them about. It's just moving in that direction. The world's changing and we're, we're a tiny part of that, trying to help accelerate that growth. But that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Well, you are in an industry, my friend, which you know this very, very well, that hates change passionately. I would love to have things go back to the 1900s with no questions asked. But there's another piece of this that I don't think a lot of people truly understand. So the, the naysayers who are like, man, 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 this is just, you know, environment, whatever, whatever. There's performance stuff here too, right? So so let's as we wrap up today's show, let's talk about that because I'm sure when I know this early on that that was a big objection, right? Well, you know what? I'm okay with taking one for the team here if I get a better rate of return. But we're starting to see that ESG actually has some competitive returns. Would you mind talking about a little bit about that too, please? Yeah. Part of it follows on what I was saying. If investors are demanding this, then <laughs> that's what investors are looking for. That's what they need to see. That's, that's part of it. Another part that misperception of returns I touched on briefly earlier, a lot of times that was coming from just let's exclude these companies that, that we don't align with. ESG has become so much more than that. ESG has become a tool for risk management. ESG has become a way for investors to be able to evaluate the strength of the management team 
and to make sure that they're not exposed to environmental lawsuits or to reputational damage or to a whole host of other things. So ESG is now becoming just good investing. And you'll hear a lot of the largest asset managers that are doing ESG say just that, that ESG is just becoming good investing. So I think that that probably is combating very well that myth of underperformance. And I'm not saying that, well, I, I am not giving any investment advice or making claims about ESG and performance that it'll shoot you to the moon. But there's a lot of great resources. Maybe you can put them in the notes for the show, demonstrating from a lot of different studies that ESG very likely to uh, help performance, at least not hurt it, and very unlikely to hurt it. I think that's a really big one for getting people over the hump. And now the biggest hump is around communication and fear of greenwashing, which is what we're really trying to address at your state. All right. Well, you can't open that can of worms without explaining that. Explain to me what greenwashing means. <laughs> sure. I'm actually writing a, a piece on greenwashing right now. It's going to be a blog post that's upcoming. Greenwashing is when the marketing of a fund or a company outpaces its actual practice. It's not backing up its claims around social and environmental impact. That's what greenwashing is. And there's a lot of reasons why greenwashing is dangerous. People that want to invest in line with their values that get fooled by greenwashing, it's, they're being misled. It's just unethical in, in many ways. And there's a lot of challenges to identifying greenwashing. That's very tricky. You have to be able to know if a fund is basically following its strategy. And that's hard when you can't just look at an ESG rating because ESG ratings have so much confusion behind them and so much differential between ESG rating number one, number two, number three, and number four from different providers. So it's very tricky to overcome that. And people are worried that they're getting fooled, essentially. We do think that transparency really helps with that. And we think that a more nuanced understanding of how, many, how much resources the fund managers are devoting to ESG is probably the biggest way to overcome greenwashing. Gotcha. Well, we'll look forward to that blog. So Gabe, I'm sure after all of this, there are going to be people who are going to want to know more about what your stake is, how they can work with you. What, what should people do if they want to know more, a little bit more about who you are, what you can do, what you can do for them and their clients? Sure. You can check out yourstake.org. We have free trials. You can email me at Gabe. G-A-B-E at yourstake.org. You can find me on LinkedIn, really anything. I uh, am new to Twitter and growing that a little bit too. So that's pretty fun. What Your Stake can do for you, we want to help you if you are struggling with ESG. Maybe ESG has not worked for you or you're taking your first steps and you want to figure out where to turn. And we provide research tools and reporting to help make it more personalized and meaningful and explainable. Magnificent. So just to, to summarize here real quick from, from my gilded cage that I live in is this. It doesn't matter if you think your clients want it or not. They do. Many of you are, you know, could be listening to this and saying, you know what, you know, what, Matt, I, this just isn't important. And, and the answer is no, you're wrong. It is incredibly important. And the, once you have these conversations, you're going to realize how important it really is to your clients. It's also a magnificent way to separate yourself from a lot of the larger organizations that a lot of you feel like you're in competition with, right? As an independent financial services professional, and you can bring this to your clients 
clients. It's a huge difference from some of the larger wirehouses, bigger banks, bigger things like that, because they might not be doing this. Well, we know that they're not doing this the same level uh, that you could independently. We actually have a joint client, Gabe and I do, and she's been very involved in our show here. She's actually come on and talked about ESG and SRI and impact investing. I We know just by watching her growth, when she talks about this stuff on her podcast, the level of engagement, Gabe, is really phenomenal because people just are craving this so much. Wall Street has been this black box of, okay, just make money, make money at any cost. And people are tired of that. Boomers are tired of that. Gen X is tired of that. Millennials are tired of that. People who are consumers are tired of that. So you need to give yourself the right tools to be able to have the right conversation. And we are really, really happy, Gabe, that you've created this. We're going to make sure that we have all of those links in your show notes. And I just want to personally thank you for everything that you're doing for our industry and also for being on the show. Matt, thanks so much for having me. I love your passion about ESG too. That's why I was really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Please, please, please check out yourstake.org. Follow Gabe on uh, social media because we're going to be looking for that uh, greenwashing report here relatively soon, my friend. All right. So for Gabe and everybody here at Proudmouth, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Drop us a review if you can. And also, if you know somebody who has talked about ESG or you're doing ESG and know that you need to have your other friend, financial services professionals, listen to this explanation. Super easy. All you have to do is click that share button. So for everybody at Your Stake and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Halloran. And we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how you can be your own loud, visit our website, read our blog posts, attend our educational webinars, and sign up for our new Influence Accelerator Academy, where you too can learn how to truly be an influencer in your space. Have a wonderful day.